Welcome to Missionary Roundtable with your host, Kale Horvath. Welcome back to Missionary Roundtable. Thank you guys for joining us once again. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about the Great Commission and how international missions and cross-cultural missions are, are play an, an integral part in the Great Commission that Christ has given us. We have been spending the summer talking to different missionaries and pastors from all around the world. I hope you guys have been encouraged and challenged by that. And today we have another guest with us today. He is coming at us from 12 time zones away. His name is Mickey Kofer. He is a missionary to Mongolia. He's been there for over 15 years. He'll, he'll tell you more here in just a sec. But Mickey, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you, brother. So Mickey, uh, tell me really quick, because I didn't do my job as the interviewer before we started and ask you how many years you've been in Mongolia, <laughs> but how long have you uh, been there? Yeah, I'm not even sure myself. I think 2003 of September. Is when you, was when you came. Right. To the field. So, so what, yeah, going on 17 years, 18 years. Yeah. yeah. That, amazing. And you, I mean, you're coming at us from Mongolia. Um, it's, it's amazing that, I mean, you have internet connection. I can see you, I can hear you. Right. Um, and that, because we have sent teams to see you in Mongolia and I've been told that a lot of people live in these tents that, uh, are they called yurts? I can't remember. Yeah, Russian words yurts. It's gear is what we call them. Oh, th that's the Russian word is yurts. So it's a gear. Right. Okay. So yeah, so yeah, so a lot of people still do. We are now um, living in, well, we lived in a log cabin. We lived in a gear, one of those without electricity or water or toilet or anything for seven years. For seven I years. Mean, wow. Yeah. So the outhouse at 40 below is no fun. <laughs> and uh, no refrigerator. I was telling the guy today, I was talking to a You probably don't need a refrigerator at 40 below. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, in the summertime, it's a little different. We have a little summer. I was cracking up telling this Mongolian pastor that we, in the summertime, the kids just loved it when it when the hell balls came down because we'd run out and we'd get little buckets and catch them as they rolled off the gear. And then we'd run to town and buy a Coke and we could actually have an ice cold Coke. <laughs> like collecting manna from the heavens, right? Yeah. <laughs> get some, some natural made ice. Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. So Mickey, you, uh, um, let's, let's just say you are not the young man that you were back in the day. How, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking. So I'm 58 in July and I came to the mission field at 40. The Lord called me at 39, 38 mm -hmm. and I raised the court and then we came. I, I was uh, just turned 40. Wow. So you went to the field later in life. What, if you don't mind me asking, what's your story before that? What what did you do? Where did you live? And and then what did God do in your life to to lead you down this path of career international missions in a in a place like Mongolia, which is basically okay, as far away as you can get from the United States before you start coming back. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long story. Um, well, let's here I'm we from, are. <laughs> yeah, I'm from North Carolina, uh, Brevard, North Carolina. Um, that's outside of Asheville. I'm. Uh, just a basic country boy. My dad was in the Air Force and um, we traveled around in my young life, lived in Alaska for a few years in South Carolina, Georgia, and then we settled in North Carolina. I was probably in the second or third grade where my grandparents were. So that's where I grew up. And um, 
I was saved at the age of 10 at Sumter, South Carolina Air Force Base. And then at 18, I really um, was in a tent meeting and the guy preaching on hell just kind of shook me up and I went forward and got things right. I wasn't living right. And so I just really gave my heart to the Lord afresh, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of rededicated my life. We called it back then. And yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. So and began to really serve the Lord. I, I just the changes were happening and you know, just begin to have little prayer meetings at my house. And, and I just, I was, I'm just a real simple fellow that, um, I was fishing and hunting and I had a horse and some farm animals and dad had old car lot. And so I was just always out and I never was a schoolboy. So <laughs> I was like, uh, 18 and I couldn't even read. I mean, brother, I read my first book when I was went to Bible school at age 22. Wow. So at 18, I could probably read on the, I don't know, second grade level, maybe third. Wow. Okay. So if I read a chapter in the Bible, it would take me 30 minutes, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. So, so basically I was on fire for the Lord. I was leading some people to the Lord. I was filling a church pew and, but I just felt like, you know, I can't really serve the Lord because mm. I can't read. I'm just, you know, I, I just can't do like other guys. So I really felt like I could pray. I mean, you don't have to be smart to pray. So Amen. Amen. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just felt that, you know, I started going to the woods and every night I just walked down the road and pray. And so my heart was really as a young man, um, into prayer. Mm. And I forgot your questions now. I just started rambling. Oh but, no, just, uh, yeah. So what's your story? So you're, you're a young man. And so you're, you're growing you went, you said you went to Bible school in your twenties. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I grew up by the wilds Christian camp and a lot of those guys went to Bob Jones university. Okay. So my, my Sunday school teacher was a guy, Rand Hummel was his name and he began to disciple me. And one day he called on me to read in Sunday school class. Mm-hmm. Oh, mercy. So <laughs> my world up and I stumbled through this verse. And then afterwards I said, Mr. Hummel, <laughs> man, don't ever call on me to read or I'm not coming back. You know, <laughs> So then he started discipling me and um, it really kind of taught me how to read. And then from that 18, 19, 20, two, three, four years later, um, you know, the, actually, I could tell you the little story about that. Yeah, um, go if ahead. You can hear it. Okay, Please. so I started going to the woods every year for um, two or three weeks at a time. And on my summer vacation, I, I started working at North American Van Lines, driving a truck. And then my boss was a believer and he'd let me off to go. I'd like to go have a prayer time for two or three weeks. I'd fast the first week and then I would just, I had brought some canned food in and fishing and that for the next couple of weeks. And, and so I just read my Bible and prayed and just, um, seeking the Lord about what he wanted me to do. And so after two or three years of that, my, I was about 21 or 22 and I told my boss, I wanted to go to the woods. He wanted to buy a new truck. And I said, I said, yeah, I need to go to the woods and pray for the Lord's will. And so I just went to the woods and just was having my two or three weeks in the woods. Just a wonderful time. Are, are you um, saying that you spent two or three weeks consecutively in the woods? Like, yeah, like without yeah. leaving? 
Yeah. So I would go like up in the Pisgah forest and it was like a seven mile hike back to where I went, where we used to deer hunt in there. And I built a little plastic tent and I just hung out in the woods for two or three weeks, just praying and wow. reading. The Bible. So yeah, I, it was a really I'm good starting to get to know you better, Mickey, but maybe now <laughs> I'm starting to learn why you're in Mongolia of all, <laughs> how the Lord shaped you, man. And if you guys, well, if you guys could see Mickey right now, he's got a big burly beard and he's just a, a man's man looking guy. <laughs> well, thank you. That's a good compliment. Well, I was in the woods just kind of praying for the will of the Lord, you know, and, um, you know, I'm young, 21, 22. And the Lord started dealing with me about Bob Jones University. And I had been praying for a couple of weeks before that came to mind, you know, and just, you know, just spending, you know, I'm not sitting there on my knees all day praying. Sure. I'm walking and reading and just, but I am praying all day. And, mm-hmm. and so anyhow, you know, the Lord's really starts dealing with me about Bob Jones University. So I'm shook up. Hmm. I, I'm shook up. I'm like, oh Lord, you know, I know I'm praying for your will, but you know, I can't go to school. I can't read, hmm. you know, so I'm really backpedaling at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like praying, please don't make me go to school. You know, I, <laughs> I just can't do that, you know, but anyhow, you know, of course I said yes. And so I went to school and got associate's degree, three year Bible degree. And, um, it was the toughest thing I've ever done in my life, the biggest calling in my life, you know. But while I was in there praying, um, I guess that's a long story to tell you how I went to school. But <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So, so when I was in there, I, I kind of want to tell you this story. Um, you know, I was praying and I just said, Lord, you know, um, if I have to go to school, will you give me? a good woman, a good wife, you know, <laughs> by, by my graduating year, I'd like to have this woman. I'll be about 25 and I'd like to just get married about 25. And I want to come back to these woods for one year and just pray for a year. <laughs> oh my goodness. So with my wife, because I was thumbing through my Bible those few weeks and I, I know this is going to sound so weird, but I'm really not this weird, but <laughs> I came across this verse and I thought this is the coolest thing I've ever heard of. It's a, it's a verse in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. where um, the Bible talks about when a young man, a young man gets a wife. Yeah. That, he won't go out to war. Yeah. You know, that <laughs> for, I think it's for a year, right? Isn't that the yeah, time frame? He doesn't have to go to war or do business for one year, but he can stay at home and cheer up his wife. <laughs> kind of like a year honeymoon, you know? So you're like, I'm going to do that. No, I told Lord, I said, Lord, if, if, if I have to go to school, I pray that you give me a good woman and that we could come and camp out for a whole year for a honeymoon and mm. do what, what you said there. I know it's old Testament, but I just thought it was a cool idea. <laughs> yeah. So, so sure enough, um, when we got married, we camped out for a year and prayed and read our Bible and My people goodness. thought we were craziest, you know, thing, you know, Mickey, but you were like but, 10 minutes into this and I already feel like a terrible human being and a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, well, My honeymoon, we went to Cancun, your honeymoon, you lived in the woods for a year and talked to the Lord. My goodness. <laughs> well, That's it was just 
I'm, I'm, I'm funny. No, I'm just kidding, man. That that is that's amazing. So so you married Trina, your your awesome wife, and uh, in in your mid twenties yeah. then. Well, yes. Can I tell you about that, please? <laughs> All right. This this is, I guess this is a couple of prayer stories. It'll be fun, <laughs> you know. So so you know, here I am, this basic simple country boy. And, you know, I, I just began to pray for a wife. Of course I've had girlfriends and, you know, and now that I'm on fire for the Lord and I'm going to Bible school before I go to Bible school, I said, Lord, I need a woman that can do whatever you want us to do. So I started this list, you know, (laughs) about this woman and I wrote a list. I said, Lord, you know, I'm a potter. So I took pottery in high school to get out of hard classes, you know, because I couldn't read. <laughs> okay. So I'm actually a potter now and and we can we've had a business for years doing pottery. Really? But okay. Yeah, so I'm a potter by trade and a rock mason and huh. a printer. So that's what I printed for a ministry and then I did rock masonry while I was at school and on weekends and then I did pottery full time for years. Mm-hmm. Um and had uh, many galleries that we wholesale to. Hmm. So anyhow, so I wrote this list. Now, this is going to sound funny. And I said, Lord, now, if you don't like this list, you you know, if you don't want any of this, it's fine. I just want the one you want. But here's what I, I kind of hope for is I'd like an artist because I'm a potter. And, you know, if I had an artist as a wife, we could, you know, do pottery together and, and support ourselves. And and if you want us to do anything, you know, that kind of thing. So I'd like her to be an artist. And Lord, I'm from North Carolina. I'm a Southern boy. And if you gave me a Yankee, it would broaden my scope. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had been by the Wilds Christian camp and all these Yankee girls came there. And I thought, hmm, these girls are spiritual. I want one of these Yankees. So. I had an artist, a Yankee, and then I, I said, Lord, I'd like a, a, a Indian-type woman. <laughs> Both <laughs> what's of what's that mean? Both of my great-grandmothers are, are full-blooded Indian. My really? uh, grandmother from North Carolina is uh, Cherokee, and my grandmother from Alabama is uh, Choctaw. So, Man, you are fascinating. <laughs> I've never met them, but uh, anyhow, so... Um, I said, an Indian type woman would be cool. I like that, Lord. And then I, I, I had that on my list. Artist, Yankee, Indian type woman. Then I, I had on there a little note that she could handle coming to the woods for a year. honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had, um, you know, I, I love the King James Bible. So I, I prayed for one that would like the King James Bible. And then mm-hmm. I prayed for one that would be modestly modest apparel sure, and, all the biblical and, things are next right yeah, course, <laughs> this might not be biblical but i i had this on my list seriously lord i need a full-figured woman <laughs> what's this podcast rated but, um, oh this so, might be the best episode yet this is awesome <laughs> so i had more things on my list but anyhow so um i actually bought her rings um, three, four years before I met her. Oh, and okay. yeah, so every Wednesday I fasted for her hmm. and I, for years and prayed that she would have her devotions. And if she had a man, God would get rid of him. If she wasn't married, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I was just praying up a storm. I'm funny. I pray about everything about that. And so anyhow, one day, um, I met this, I was going to Bob Jones and 
uh, this is going to sound bad. My, my sister um, was in a train crash. A train hit her car and killed her um, oh when goodness. she was heading to church. So I went, uh, I went to um, the art department and I asked who was a good portrait painter. I'd like um, somebody to paint a picture of my sister. So they sent me to this girl named Trina Zamet. And so I went into this art class and I walked up to her and I asked her if she could paint a portrait and I showed her some pictures and she said, yeah. And I said, can I walk you to your next class? And she said, Oh, I'm sorry. I have to go to discipline committee. I, I, I missed the chapel and I'm in trouble. And I said, Oh, that's great. I, I have to go too. <laughs> I, was going to, I was wrestling in the dorms with a 300 pound guy and we busted a wall out of the dorm hall. So, so um, we went to discipline committee together and uh, on my way to discipline committee, I, um, I started asking her questions. Where are you from? What you doing? This and that. And, and, you know, she says, I ask her whole life story, but, uh, on the way, all these questions on my list came out. (laughs) (laughs) You were interviewing her. Yeah. (laughs) That, that, that 20 minutes, I knew she was the one. So I went home that night, got my rings out and held them up and said, Lord, when you want me to give them to her. (laughs) So I met this girl and one day I knew she was it. So I called her and asked her out every night. We went to a revival meeting. The seventh day that I knew her, I gave her her rings. Wow. And so I knew her seven days. We got engaged and listen, she was an artist. She was from Michigan. She's um, her grandparents came over from Malta on a boat. So oh, wow. she's brown. She were Paul shipwrecked with those heathens. So I got me a huh. heathen Yank Indian woman. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, she um, she uh, when when it came to going to the woods for a year, her art teacher growing up was um, this guy that went to an island for three months a year to pray and paint. So it's nothing for her. She knew what I was talking about. And then as far as modest apparel, she has her own little story. It's so funny that when she got saved and started going to this um, little school in Michigan, she started praying, Lord, what do I wear at this place? You know, it was um, uh, this little Bible school and she, she had been, you know, working in a bar actually at 18 years old and she just got saved and she was just on fire for the Lord. And she said, Lord, what do I wear? You know? And so she said she was out praying. And when she came back to her room, there was a bag there full of dresses. So she said, I guess I got my answer. So she wore dresses since that day. So that's just a funny thing, you know? And then, uh, um, she's blessed with a full figure. Oh, Amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so everything on my list, and then actually, this is the funny part: is her, the rings fitter. You well, know. Well, so, I mean, there you go, man. <laughs> there you go. So anyhow, so that's another little prayer thing. But um, you know, so I don't know why I said all that except no, to that's, say that's awesome. True answer to prayer that has those things. There's just many of those things things as far as like going to the woods the lord changed my life 
in those prayer times. Cause hmm. as you know, I've, as I said, you know, I'm just this simple boy that I was really tore up in the woods when I was praying, just that I couldn't serve the Lord. Let me tell you one more. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. One more prayer thing. So I'm, I'm in the woods and I, and that maybe it sounds weird. So I'd go to the woods two or three weeks a year, you know, and just spend time with him. And one year I was in there and I said, Lord, you know, I know that I can't serve you. I understand, you know, I'm telling the Lord, I understand I can't serve you. <laughs> we, we know I can't read. And, you know, I'm not a guy that can do anything hardly, you know, unless you give me a fly rod or a gun or a bow and arrow, you know, <laughs> then I can bring some meat home. But basically, you know, I said, Lord, I know you can't use me to do anything, but I, I want to give my life to you in prayer. Hmm. So I just said, you know, I just want to, I know that, that I can get away and cry out to you for other people and pray for my pastor and I can be that for you. So I was very excited and, and I was just kind of weepy and telling the Lord, I was just really sorry that I was cheating in school and, you know, that I copied and just trying to survive and, and that, you know, my family, you know, my sister, before she got saved and went to Bob Jones, she was a little gangster, like robbing stores, driving oh, the getaway car, you know, she was just lived with a gang of people that were just outlaws, you know, and mm. she got saved and her husband, you know, threw her out and everything. And so my dad sent her to Bob Jones with me. And so it was awesome. But, but, um, I was just telling the Lord, I'm sorry for our family, you know, probably I would say at least, I don't know, a third or more, maybe a half of my family has died with drug related stuff and in prison and murders and in my Alabama family. And it's just been just so telling the Lord, I'm just so sorry, you know, that I am not, I've ended up like I am just weak, kind of foolish. like you just, you didn't feel like God could use you. I, I, I in my heart, I, I knew he couldn't. I just hmm. knew that I, and I was telling him all these things about my family, about, you know, how dumb I am and, and that, you know, I just can't do anything, but I give you my life in prayer. And my plan and was just, to really spend, you know, four or five hours a day in prayer just for mm. people. And that was my calling. And that's what I was doing. And so I reached over. I felt like I was supposed to read. So I reached over and got my Bible. And, of course, I can't read well. And let me look and show you. Let me show you what the Lord, the Lord just, these verses were just there. Um, I open the, I don't open the Bible up and just, you know what I mean? <laughs> Let the Bible fall open. But it, that's kind of what happened, you know, the Lord showed me these verses, you know, in my simplicity. And it said, so I'm laying there weeping, telling the Lord that. And first uh, Corinthians says, for you see your calling brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. And then I started just weeping mm -hmm. the, the, and to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not. To bring, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh could glory in his presence. And boy, 
that the Lord, he just spoke directly to me through that scripture, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, Lord, you can use me. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, later on, he talks about, you know, the foolishness of preaching and uh, how not only the tools that God uses, but the means that he uses are all in the world's eyes foolish. So, man, praise the Lord. Yeah. So I, I didn't necessarily think I was called to preach or anything, but I knew that uh, I didn't, I'm not saying that prayer was a, a lesser calling, but I'm just saying, but he, he told you that of, you're wrong. It, when yes, you said, God, you can't yes. use me. You said you're wrong. I can. Right. I'm right. Like, so it, I, I'll be honest with you. It almost scared me a little bit like, Oh no, he's going to make me do something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's transition now to later in your life because that was all in your twenties, but you said you didn't go to the field or feel called to the international field until uh, 39, 40 years old. So what, um, what led to that point in, in your late thirties that you felt the Lord was leading you in that direction? Well, I, um, I inherited some land in North Carolina, but I was living in Ohio and I started, um, building a house in North Carolina long distance. I bought a little sawmill and started driving down there on weekends and, cutting wood and building a little house. To I was going to say, you probably started building it with your own two hands by the looks of it. Yeah. Right? yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we solved. I wouldn't trees. expect anything less now. <laughs> I'm a rock Mason by trade. So, yeah. we, so basically um, I, at the pottery shop, I'd throw two or three, 400 pots. And then I, we were doing full time pottery shop. Then Trina had to paint them. So while she was painting them, I ran to North Carolina Hmm. for two or three weeks. And then I'd come back and fire them, sell them, go back for two or three weeks. So it took me, I don't know, five, six years to build that house. But while I was doing that, I had a lot of a long time and I began to toward 37, 38, I was just saying, Lord, um, my life is half over. I mean, if you think about it, Mm -hmm. life is, you're halfway finished. You know, when I turned 40, I mean, I'm, probably going beyond half 70 80 years right psalm 90 (laughs) yeah i mean it's truly that's the honesty and i just started saying lord am i missing anything is there anything you want me to do because i i've always worried and been concerned about the judgment seat of christ and that's Mm. and i just was began to tell the lord you know i i dread it i i dread standing before you is there anything that you want me to do in this part of my life. I know I'm building a new house. So, so, but I don't have to move here. What do you want me to do? You know? Hmm. And, um, so I was tore up like that for about two years, you know, and the last, last year of that, just, you know, not tore up, just, you know, I'd be laying in the bed at night dealing with it. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like the Lord's in my room. You know, how have you been asleep (laughs) at night and, and, you feel like some burglars come in. You just feel, you know, I would just feel a little like, okay, somebody's in my room. You know, I just have that old, that feeling. And I just say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Mm-hmm. So I just would feel like the Lord was there. And I just say, Lord, am I missing something? I was feeling like that. And, 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 uh, and I'm not a touchy feely mystical dream and vision guy. I'm just, <laughs> the word of God says that this is what we do, you know? I'm, and so Basically, this guy from Australia came to our church, and um, he was a missionary evangelist guy, and and he just really preached the word, and he really laid it on us about going to the mission field and the call, and God just really answered my question there. He dealt with me about 
doing something for him. So I went up to this preacher and I said, brother, because he's really hard, this Australian dude, he was all but cussing, you know, he was like, (laughs) you Americans, you know, you're just, you got your three or four cars and your comfort zones and you wouldn't do nothing for God if you had to, you know, and he was just like, (laughs) so I went up to him and I said, brother, he tells me today, he's actually visited us here before and he's just, yeah, he's really excited about us. And, and he just said, he said, boy, I really thought you was going to fight me that day. You know, (laughs) I, I went up to him. I said, brother, you act like, you know, you just got to go to the mission field or you're not right with God. I said, you can't just go to the mission field. You have to be called. I mean, you need to be called of God, Mm. you know? I mean, and so he just said, brother, and he held his foot up. He said, you got your foot up. He said, you just need to ask God where to put it down. He said, I can tell you got your foot up. You see what I'm saying? He was saying, you're ready to go, but you need to. And then my pastor walks up to me, puts his hand on my shoulder and, and his, and he never does this. He cuffs his mouth and whispers in my ear, Mickey, your call. <laughs> so I love that, man. We've talked about on this podcast before that, like we make this calling sometimes a lot more mystical than it needs to be. You got a book that says go into all the world and preach the gospel. And sometimes we're looking for every way possible to say, well, but that's not geared towards me. God called me to stay here. And I don't know. I just find it funny because I I haven't tried to talk about that with every missionary, but somehow a lot of the missionaries I talk to that comes up somehow in their own calling that it was just the Lord convicting them that like, Hey, why don't you go? Yes, I think a lot of people are hindered from going because they're like me. They're looking for a zap. Hmm. They're looking, you know, we don't go around looking for zaps and signs and wonders. The wicked and perverse generation seeketh a sign. We don't go around (laughs) saying, Lord, if I see a Mongolia written on the side of the truck, I'll know I'm supposed to go. Right. You know, we don't do that in our spiritual. We live by faith. And so, you know, when the preacher said that, he looked at me and he 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 grabbed my shoulder. He said, Mickey, you're running and you don't know it. You're not surrendering to this. He said, um, you've called and I've known it for years that the Lord's dealing with you to be a missionary. And he mm. said, you just need to surrender. He said, nobody goes around. Every preacher that we have in here, you come up to him and talk to him about his calling. He said, <laughs> you need to surrender. And I, he said, I mm. think you're called not only to be, a, you're called to preach and you're called to be a missionary and you need to surrender. And and that was like, what? It just kind of shook me up because I never really thought about that. Mm. I just, so as I drove home, I told Trina, I said, honey, I, you know, the preacher said this and that. And she laughed and said, well, we can do that. She said, I was, I, I told the Lord, we'll go wherever you want us to go. Mm. And I said, well, I said, so this guy, when he came, he was preaching all the countries that needed missionaries and he went around the whole world, you know, <laughs> 1040 lateral was the biggest need. Yeah. The 1040 window. Yeah. And so he was just saying, you know, who's going to Mongolia, you know, and he, and then he went on. And so anyhow, I, I told her, she said, did anything stand out to you on the map when he preached the whole world? I said, well, Mongolia did. And she said, me too. She said, I told the Lord we could do that. And I said, wow. I said, well, shoot, a preacher just told me I'm running and called and running. So on my way home from church, I thought, 
it started tearing me up and I, I thought I'm going to swing by this old man's house, this old brother I know. And I swung by his house and I went in and I said, Hey brother, I just want to say, Hey, and I'm just coming back from church. And I said, brother, I just want to ask you one question. And I got to go, how does a man know if he's called, mm-hmm. you know, it was just on my heart. And, and he gave me the weirdest answer ever. He looked at me and he said, Mickey, I can tell you the best way to know. He said, if your pastor sees it in you. Mm. And I said, oh, (laughs) and I never heard that before. And my pastor (laughs) just told me that. So I was shook up. (laughs) So I went home to the barn and for the next two or three days, I was just crying out to the Lord. Lord, am I called? How come people can see it and I can't see it? And Mm. and I'm just, just surrendering and begging and praying. And and so. You know, I came to the conclusion, you know, I wanted to go to work, you know, my pottery shop. And I'm standing there at the door. I said, Lord, am I called or not? I need to know so I can move on in life, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a verse popped in my mind that the wicked and perverse generation seeketh a sign. And I said, oh, Lord, don't give me a sign. I don't want a sign. <laughs> but how do people, how do these guys know? Hmm. I mean, and then I was praying uh, probably another couple hours. I was just tore up after that. And and I I just came to, the, I was standing at the door again of the barn fixing to go out. And I said, Lord, I, I really don't know. And then a verse came to mind that the just live by faith. Mm. And I said, oh, Lord. And that really tore me up because I thought, Lord, so by faith, I have to go to Mongolia. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't seem right. By faith, I'm just going to go. So I went Wednesday night. I told my pastor, Pastor, I think I'm called. I mm. think the Lord said, get up there right now. Church hadn't even started. He made me get up there in the pulpit and tell the church. And I said, <laughs> church, I think I'm called. I believe I'm called to go to Mongolia. And uh, and I was thinking of Acts. I said, but I'm not going unless you send me. Mm. And some old farmer Amen. raised his hand. And said, I'll give 500. And then somebody else raised their hand. I'll give five. So I'm serious. They raised $5,500. Wow. And Church hadn't even started yet. My pastor walks up. He slaps me on the back and he points at the door and says, go, we send you. My goodness. <laughs> so I didn't know what to do except. It's just Acts 13 ticket. right there. Yeah. yeah so wow. I bought an airplane ticket and I went to Mongolia to check it out. And huh. we've been laughing ever since. It's obvious. It was wow. obvious. That woods, that year we spent our honeymoon year in the woods camping out. That was our training. Um, you know, Trina's side of the family's all doctors and lawyers. She lived on the island in the Detroit River across from Canada with the Henry Ford mansion beside it. And she was just never been in the woods at all. You know, <laughs> so the Lord kind of broke her in. Then we moved here. We lived in a tent for seven years. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that man, that, that was an amazing story. Um, so transitioning now to being on the field, uh, what do you guys start doing to reach Mongolians? And then maybe, you know, what did you start doing? Um, and then lead us up to where you're at today with, you know, 18 years of ministering to Mongolians. All right. Okay. So, you know, when I think of, so you can tell that I'm dependent yeah, on the Lord. I can't do this without prayer. Right. So mm-hmm. prayer comes kind of natural because I, feel I'm not very capable. I'm, I'm unable to, 
you know, I don't want to say this, but I would say I'm a bit weak minded <laughs> when it comes to paperwork or interviews or preaching or, you know, I just feel unable. I'll be honest with you. My life verse is Ecclesiastes 9.4. And and here's what it, here's the scripture says for to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. <laughs> so I believe the Lord showed me that. And the next verse is, for the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have any more rewards. So I'm just saying when I was seeking the Lord about being anything, doing anything, he just showed me that my strength is availability, hmm. that I have willing and able and so i'm alive and it's funny it's like my talent is i'm alive that's it so mm -hmm. i'm i'm, just, I'm really, that's the bottom of the line that's about the bottom of the line but but i'm really believing that i really believe that for myself that you know i am alive and i'm available to the lord so i'm i'm gonna be okay mm. um so when I got to this village, you know, yes, I've had three years of um, Bible training, um, you know, after when I got here, that'd been 20 years, you know. <laughs> and so when I got here, I I came to the furthest away village. I don't know English, so that didn't sound right. But I came to a village <laughs> that is far, far away. It's to, it's 24 hour drive to the capital city. It's oh, my um, goodness. And it's uh, that's like living like several states away from a yeah, capital yeah, yeah. city so, in, I mean, in America. Yeah. yeah, we're 80 miles from Russia. We're kind of under Siberia. But I, I guess when I got here, it, was, it shook me up. You know, I mean, once we got here and we're I'm walking around the mountains around the village praying, Lord, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> How do I can't speak the language that, you know, and I just was crying out and I'm just saying I'm a dependent man. And I, I, I know, I mean, I can't go door knocking and I, I don't know what to do here except, um, and I just seeking the Lord and what do I do first Lord? And you know, what came to mind and I really felt like it was the Lord, uh, you know, dig a toilet. You don't have nowhere to go to the bathroom. <laughs> First things first, I really, right? I came home from prayer and I told Trina, well, the Lord said, dig a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you have to dig your own outhouse and that's, it's about a 10 foot hole, seven foot wide and, you know, five foot wide and seven foot long. And that took us, you know, with a pick and a shovel and a bucket straight down in gravel. So that wow. took us a month, you know, all of our family digging this toilet hole and then we built a little toilet. Well, meanwhile, the neighbors started coming over and helping us. And then, um, I hired a guy to work for me and help me, um, build a fence and some of this stuff. And next thing you know, he, I had a translator there and he, she said, he wants to tell you something. So he started talking to me and he said, I now pray for my food because we pray at lunchtime I I want to pray for my food. Hmm. So I thought, hmm. So that's the guy helping me dig the toilet. He's saying that he's praying for his food now because we pray. And then the next thing you know, a week later, he says, can you teach us the Bible? And hmm. so it just happened by digging the toilet, you know. And so I said, okay, you next just had to Sunday, start digging. 
<laughs> yeah. So next Sunday, I I said, okay, I'm going to have a Bible study. Well, um, eight couples, which is a miracle in itself, eight couples, husband and wife, 16 people came to the first Bible study. Wow. And I didn't ask of one of them except that one guy mm-hmm. that was digging the toilet. So digging the toilet started the church. <laughs> so that's I'm an just amazing line. That's awesome. I'm a simple man. And, and, you know, I had ideas how to get started, but I sure didn't have that one, you know? Mm, sure. Man, so did I answer the question or did I, I man? Or, I don't you you don't even have to answer the question at this point. This is just so encouraging and interesting. No, so you 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 get to Mongolia, you still aren't sure what you're gonna do, but you got your Bible, you've been discipled, and you're like, Lord, I'm just trusting right. you. And you start digging and people start helping, and then essentially you're modeling your, your Christian life for them and they're interested and curious. And then you get to start right. teaching them the Bible. Right. Right. And we've had a plan and we have a plan and it's all written out. And of course the, we have like a four, um, four corners, we call it of, of our ministry four um, cornerstones of the ministry. Mm-hmm. Of course, the first one is church planting, then gospel publishing. Cause I was a printer for seven years and my, my wife, um, she worked for Patch the Pirate, Ron Hamilton, um, drawing his books and stuff in the ministry. So we're we're graphic artists and potters and printers, that kind of thing. So gospel publishing, we know my, my dream is to flood this land, like Moses said, to saturate the ground with the Word of God. Hmm. That's what I want to do. So publishing, church planting, publishing the Word of God, leadership training. You've got to train men to go into hmm. all the world. Yeah. And then strategic endeavors that that open the doors for the gospel in closed countries or in these closed villages. So that's our four cornerstones of our ministry that we are building here and that we're doing. So as we go, um, you know, we needed housing to to start this ministry, to have a pottery studio. So we actually started an art gallery in the capital city before we came here. We were in the capital city a few few months and we rented a little room and bought some art and started selling. So now we've transferred that here to our village um, in our um, strategic endeavors, which is was we did a Vessels of Honor LLC company. And then we started a local craftsman nonprofit organization um, to do our training workshops. So that's part of my calling. And then in the strategic endeavors and leadership training. We're trying to start a little school here. We're doing youth camps and um, we've translated much material, good soul curriculum, old new Testament survey. And um, we've been translating the Bible for 12 years. We have, um, you know, there, there isn't a Bible in the language of that. There's there's about four or five Bibles here, two main Bibles, but nothing's been um, really, uh, translated from the original Greek and Hebrew. Ah. So we have gone to, I flew to London. I asked the Trinitarian Bible Society if they would help us. We found a, an old Bible that here that was outdated in 1800s that was translated. We tried to work with that, but it didn't work. But um, so we got a, a Greek guy to come over for eight years. He said, okay, I'll come over for one year and train you. And mm-hmm. so he came over for one year. And after that year, he said, I don't think you're trainable, brother. 
<laughs> so he stayed here for eight years. They, <laughs> they finished the New Testament. We're now on the Old Testament, and he's working with us online. We have about six people full time wow. in that part of the ministry. So that's so you're basically part. working on a TR Bible in in that language. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. So we're we're excited about that, and so and we've also. Um, been translating Sunday school material from um, systematic six years, systematic theology, mm-hmm. 72 volumes of um, Sunday school curriculum. And then we've been working on that for years and we've actually finished translating. We're starting to print it now. And wow. it's this, you know, we kind of go as the money flows sure. when it comes to the printing is very difficult buying paper and mm. ink and so we've also done a 300 page uh, comic book from creation to christ which oh, wow. we're, is very successful we're excited about so we have materials so i'm just saying and in the church planning we have started a church and we're we're fixing to start another one so we have church planning gospel publishing leadership training and strategic endeavors mm. so we have a plan and we're not just floating around sure sure praying about digging toilets. I mean, but we sometimes very... the first step is the hardest. Well, I mean, yeah. I, sometimes it always is the hardest. And then once, yeah. once you take that first step and God provides, and then it's like, Oh, okay. Now I, now I can see the direction, but man, that first right. step is a doozy. <laughs> it is. Especially when you're thinking all the, I don't, I honestly don't know how missionaries say, yep, I'm going to go there in five years. I'm going to have a church and have it in the pastor's hand and go, sure. you know, <laughs> I mean, every field is different. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, when you come out into the middle of nowhere and they've never hardly seen a foreigner and they were beating on my door saying, you guys can't stay here this winter. You can't live. Your children will die. It's too cold here. Oh, wow. Like they're telling, they're like thinking of you. Like you can't, you can't do this. (laughs) You guys just can't live in a gear. You guys, white people can't live in a gear. They're just saying it's too cold, you know? Wow. And they were right, but we did it. <laughs> and now you but, also, so you, you know, all this ministry that you're doing, you've got a church, you're planning another church. You also, and, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I just know a little bit about, uh, we've sent teams to help you. You have like this old Soviet compound or Russian compound, don't you, that, yeah. that you guys bought that you're like renovating to use for, for something. Yes. We and that's have. been a long-term process. I, yes, I didn't, I didn't want this place, but I felt like the Lord really made me buy it. (laughs) I, it was kind of the only place available. It was an old rundown Soviet factory. It's a huge, probably 135,000, um, square feet, you know, square feet, you know, um, and so we're just been working on this for eight years. We've mm. been remodeling this. I mean, we tore down one part of the factory and then we've put roofs on. We're putting a roof on right now. And yeah, we're just remodeling a sports center. Um, it's uh, four stories high and the factory is longer than the football field. And we have a print shop and we have a trade school that we're working on. And um, yeah, dormitories. We've built two dormitories. We built four log cabins and we have 10 gears that we use for camp. We have somebody just gave us 30,000 for a kitchen that we're putting in for camp. And so basically we have our basic support and then we have these crazy needs and it just seems like, you know, prayer without prayer, we don't, these needs are not really met. And 
that's a story I'd love to tell you sometime, but I don't guess we have. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me ask you this, because um, your your story is amazing to hear and incredibly humbling. Because, well, let, let me just you shared your life verse with me. Let me share my life verse with you. I love it when people have a life verse that isn't like yeah. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven or something. You know, that's yeah. just like ah, yeah. Proverbs three five and six. It's everybody's life verse. But like, yeah. so mine is Amos seven fourteen and fifteen. It says, "Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman, a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Mm-hmm. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. And Amen. For Ooh. me, man, I when I was younger, I, I don't know that I had this feeling of God can't use me, um, mm-hmm. but I but I understood this idea of like, my dad's a blue collar man. He's a mechanic. He still is to this day. I grew mm-hmm. up under him. I went to vocational school in high school. I, I, I learned to work with my hands. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so I always kind of felt a little bit behind the ball in that man, can God use me? My, my dad's not a preacher. My dad's, I don't come from a line of preachers. Heck, I, I'm the first guy in my family to, uh, my immediate family to graduate from college. And it's only, you know, I, I graduated from our Bible Institute. It's not even Bob huh. Jones. It's just, I have an associate's degree from our local Bible Institute. So mm-hmm. I, I'm a nobody from nowhere who just worked with my hands. Can God use me? And oh, that's yeah. why I love that Amos seven reference. Cause he's like, listen, man, I was a nobody. And God said, go prophesy to my people, go preach. And, and he you. did. So, man, your story is so encouraging to me because that's how I felt. And and honestly, we're, we're moving to Hungary this year to start our ministry. Wow. And as much Thanks. as I can tell you, we have this plan. It's like you said, I, man, I we're going to get there and it's going to be completely different. And, and, and yeah. we're just going to have to trust the Lord. And you just Lord. need to live. You need mm-hmm. to, to make it work for your wife, make it work and just... Just live to start with, figure the country out, mm-hmm. figure out how to live instead yeah. of, and, and you're a believer, you're praying and it's ministry just starts hmm. because you're a believer. You can't <laughs> help but start it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Could you, could you elaborate a little bit on, I mean, honestly, the theme throughout this entire episode that no matter what story you're telling has just been how important prayer is in your life. And, and we should know from scripture. And I mean, it's a great thing to preach on because we should know how important prayer is and how vital mm-hmm. it is to our, uh, to our relationship with the Lord. But sometimes we forget that obviously. And so in the context of missions and doing what you're doing in Mongolia, can you just share more about how important it is practically, um, about how you couldn't be doing what you're doing without that time spending with the Lord and talking to the Lord and, and him speaking to you. Um, you know, can I tell you in a story? Another Please. Little story? I, yeah. They're so interesting um, because I, you know, printing is crazy funds. It takes so much funds to print and, um, buying a factory, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I ministry need- in general, it's expensive. Yeah. And translation is expensive and checking the translation and doctrinally checking and everything is so expensive. And I was overwhelmed our first few years here. And I just said, Lord, how does this work? You know, I've got friends that support me, family, and I've got churches and I have a good amount of support coming in, but it doesn't touch. I've, doesn't touch what we need Mm. and i just you know my my manager at the print shops need money and the builders we don't have supplies and i just said lord how does this work the needs are too big they're they're just over my head and 
And so I'm, I'm just began to pray. I thought, you know, um, I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to do the ultimate. <laughs> of course, I've been fasting and praying and I, I still have great needs. So I said, I'm going to do this sackcloth and ashes deal. <laughs> so I got me a five buck, five gallon bucket of ashes. And I, I wasn't man enough to do the sackcloth. I got long johns. And I went into one of the rooms in the factory. It's December, 30 below zero. And I put a wood stove in there, a five, 55 gallon drum and run the pipe out the window. And um, I poured the ashes out on the floor and I sat on them and I put some on my head. I don't know how you do that. I don't know if you even should do that, but <laughs> it just seemed like the ultimate prayer. <laughs> so I told Trina, I'll see you in three, three to five days, you know? So I just sat in there and I told my worker to bring me, some wood every day and just stack it out there and, and don't bother me. And I'm just going to pray for, you know, I don't know, as long as I can. And so I just began to pray and I was reading a book from George Mueller and, and, um, I would lay over and I'd sleep at night. And, and so just praying, Lord, how does this happen? I can't, do I, do I, my poor wife, do I make her beg in the newsletter? Do I, do, I, do we put it in the newsletter? Do we just pray and fast all the time? Do we, you know, people find gold in the riverbed sometimes. I said, do I need to look for gold in the riverbed? <laughs> like mean, you're trying to conceive any possible yeah, and, way and, to make this I happen. Said, exactly. How do, what is my part? Yeah. Do you want me to be like George Mueller and not make a need known? Because it's embarrassing, you know? Mm. Well, and, and, um, and reading George Mueller is, is convicting as a missionary yeah, and a minister because he didn't only. ask for nothing and, and God no. provided. Yeah. So that's what I was asking is that I'm content to do that if that's what you want me to do. But mm. how do I do it? So I prayed, I don't know, three, four days and um, fasting and praying and, and having a good time and with the Lord. And and so, you know, at the end of the thing, I, I felt like I didn't have an answer and, and and I was fine with that. And I just I just said, Lord, you know, I, I don't know how to find these funds. And, and so I was reading my last thing I was reading and it's funny, I was reading Luke um, 11 verse nine and 10. And it says, and I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you seek and you shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you for everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh, it shall be open. So, you know, I felt like that was my answer. I just felt like um, you, he, the Lord was saying, you just do it all, son. You ask, seek, knock, put it in your newsletter, look for gold, just do whatever, <laughs> pray and fast. And, and uh, we had fun in the ashes and, and uh, just, just live and pray and look and ask and don't worry about it, you know. And I, so I didn't feel like I had to be like George Mueller because one thing that comforted me in his book was that he set out to prove God and to other people. And and I'm not really setting out nothing negative there. I'm just I I'm not really setting out to prove that. I'm just setting out to do what I'm called to do in this thing. And mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and and there's huge needs right now. We've I've been really begging the Lord for, for help this summer because of this virus, you know, we've been knocked out. We had a big offering coming in to, um, to, uh, help us this summer with building material. And, 
and workers. I have already hired some guys from UB that just got here actually. And, you know, our big offerings didn't come this year. (laughs) So if there's anybody out there in radio land (laughs) that wants to get involved, we have horrendous needs. And then when it comes to printing, you know, we got a container of about 200,000 gospels coming in that we're going to get out this year. We've gotten 350,000 gospel marks out already. Wow. And this year we're going to get a hundred, almost 200,000 out. So if there's anybody interested in helping just gas money and I got to hire a couple of trucks to take me and my workers and we go town to town and, and uh, just trucking and shipping and all this stuff that's going on. We're, we're behind the eight ball. This, this, uh, summer so i'll just stick that plug in if you don't well, care yeah like actually i wanted know. to ask you before we're we're done we'll just do it now um if if people are hearing this and they want to find out more about your ministry or or they want to give or or pray for you uh where can they go do you have a website or anything like I that mean, they could just um call your church and get that information or or um yeah I'd probably call you guys and okay. get it from your pastor to start okay. off. Yeah, so if you guys if you guys want more information about Mickey and his ministry in Mongolia, uh, email our church. You can do that at uh, office at firstbaptist.church and just say that you listen to this podcast and you want more information on Mickey Kofer in Mongolia, and, and we will get that information to you. I'm Does sorry that, sound that good, I Mickey? don't even know. Uh, I don't even email, guys. I mean, I do good the carry a phone around. (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah, Mickey, how about this as we kind of wrap up here and uh, it's been amazing to hear from you. And honestly, man, it's been encouraging uh, and convicting to me just as, as not, not just as another brother, but someone going to to the field soon. Um, So thank you Mm -hmm. for that. If you had just like one last thing to say to anyone listening who say they're not a missionary, they're, they're just, they're, they're a church member. And they, regardless of their age, maybe they're in their late thirties or early forties, like you were, and they just have never felt like God can actually use them. They're just going to be a good Christian. They're going to give, they're going to pray. Um, what would you just say to someone like that? Who's just, uh, just a good old American boy or girl who, but doesn't feel like God can actually use them in a mighty way. Right. I, I honestly think that, um, you know, I'm a, such a common um, unlikely fellow. Um, God uses common men. I mean, if you study missions, the Moravians and those guys, they were potters. They were rock masons. They were builders. They were just working men, blacksmiths. Uh, God has, before our generation, it's it's been older men. You really look at missions. It's been older men that go to the mission field. A lot of it. I'm just saying um, you, you have experience under your belt. And, and if you don't go, if you don't go to the field, I mean, you know, how can, how can everybody go to the mission field? You know, it's just not even reality. Everybody doesn't go to the, the front line, mm-hmm. you know, but, but everybody's supplying the front line, mm-hmm. you know, that's the key. And, and, you know, in my case, as being a very simple guy, like I became a missionary is the first church I went to. The guy said, you guys need to buy a computer. You know, <laughs> so they bought a computer. They said, you need to get in the real world, you know? <laughs> um, so I'm just saying um, life is our ability. Really. That's my, my thing. I know I am simple in that way, but if you think of life being your ability, I think prayer 
life is prayer. Mm. And so if life is our prayers are, then, then prayer gives you availability. You're going to, you can't help when you're praying and seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, and then your pastor says, Hey, we need some help doing this. <laughs> you're just going to go help your pastor. You know, I'm just saying there's needs and you're, you're living for the Lord in prayer. I mean, it's kind of like having a wife. You're going to communicate with mm-hmm. her. You know, I mean, uh, it's like abiding in Christ. You're going to pray. How can you be the Lord's boy and or girl and not talk to him or have a wife and not talk to her or be a foreigner and not feel a little bit heavy hearted? Think about the Lord being a foreigner feeling probably heavy hearted. I mean, over here, you you have that heavy heart and it causes dependence, you know, mm-hmm. and that sounds a little jumpy, but I just mean, I'm just saying it's life and, and life is to me, it's how could it not be dependence in prayer on God? Mm-hmm. And just that dependence absolutely makes you become available to working steady job, realizing I teach my men here, you know, I, yeah, I'm the boss. I'm calling the shots, but you're working for the Lord and you're working for his reward. And, and, you know, have that mindset that you're, whatever we're doing, really all missionaries. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And you, Lord says uh, in Psalms, I can't remember which one it's in the one twenties somewhere. Um, except the Lord build the house. We labor in vain. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And and very that's very practical in in when you get to the mission field, um, but it's yeah. also it's that that's theological too because the Lord can't build the house if we're not communicating with Him, and if we're not yeah. speaking to Him through prayer. So, Mickey, I honestly this has been such so encouraging for me. I know it has been for our listeners. So, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you. Wow, I. I don't even know how to follow that up, guys. I, I'm so encouraged and challenged and convicted by Mickey's story, and, and I hope you are too. Um, like I said, if you if you want to get to know Mickey more, uh, you can email our church to find out more about Mickey and how to contact him and how to help support his ministry in Mongolia by uh, emailing office at firstbaptist.church, but make sure you say that you listen to this podcast and you're looking for more information on Mickey Kofer in Mongolia because our church secretary probably will have no idea why you're emailing her because I I probably will forget to tell her anything about this. But um, Mickey is just such an amazing man of God, and I think you can tell just from listening to him that, uh, that he just enjoys thoroughly being used by God in ways that he would have never imagined or even thought that he could be used. And, uh, and I think that honestly stems just from his walk with the Lord. Some men, I I tell you what, guys, I don't mean this in a weird way or a mean way, but there's just some men that you encounter in your life that they just walk with the Lord differently. Um, they just walk closer to the Lord than other people. And, and I think you can tell from an hour with Mickey Kofer that Mickey Kofer walks with the Lord in ways that some people just don't. And, uh, and he has a prayer life that is just amazing. And, and, uh, we should seek to pray that way and to know our Lord the way that, that he does. And, uh, it, that, I don't even know what else to say. That was just an amazing time. I hope you were encouraged. I hope you were challenged. Uh, Make sure to tune in next week as we continue with Missionary Roundtable. We'll see you next week. God bless. 
Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe and share us on social media. Also, please make sure to check out our other podcast, Theology Roundtable, at theologyroundtable.com.